pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength and power of your Spirit. And we thank you once again, Lord, for the grace that you've given us to, to gather in this most unique way. We pray that you would be with us, Lord, that you would strengthen our minds, that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would help us, Lord, to be patient in these times, and that we would uh, do as the Apostle Paul said, that we would look to God, and that we, we would be entrusted to the, the word that is able to build us up. We pray that you would strengthen us, Lord, on this day and in this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm sorry about that. My daughter's praying with me. Uh, we will go to our catechism question, question 16. If you don't have a copy of the catechism in front of you, that's fine. It's a very short question that we are considering not sure if we'll be considering this question for the month or we'll be considering this question just for this week. But the question is, I'm sorry, 17. The question is, what is sin? And the answer, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Sin is anything that is in violation of what God has commanded. And as we are preparing to go to the law of God, we see that God's law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. And these are the commands that are written on the heart of men. Uh, I remember a while ago when we were uh, considering the, the, the Sabbath and how even the Sabbath is a creation ordinance or even the Sabbath is a command or law that has been written on the heart of men. One of the great questions was, how, how does man... Uh, know or how has it been written on the heart of man that the Lord's Day is the Sabbath or uh, as previously celebrated the seventh day was the Sabbath and the answer to that is that the the specificity of the day is uh, a positive law meaning that that God has clarified in Revelation what day is to be observed as a day of Sabbath rest, but that man needs rest, that God has created man to work and to rest. That has been written on the heart of men. All men know, that is, all men made in the image of God, which would be all men, know that God requires us to rest, that we need rest. And man, evidence of man's sinfulness is that man will use rest at his own leisure or use rest to satisfy uh, his own self when he wants and how he wants. But for the believer, uh, he looks to God who gives him instructions on when to rest and how to rest. And God shows us in his word, in his revealed will, that his rest is commanded to be taken on the first day of the week. It is the new Christian Sabbath. And it is a new Christian Sabbath because we are a part of the new creation. We are, as Scripture says, if we are in Christ, we are new creations. And so praise be to God that he has given us not just the morning, but he has given us the day to observe and to look forward to in our time of worship all of the things that are ours in Christ Jesus. And we go to the law now. And I believe what Pastor Isaiah read this morning was... Uh, not in relationship to the fourth commandment, but the third commandment, which is this. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven 
above or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of on the, gener- on the children of the third and fourth generations, of those who hate me, but showing kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, brothers and sisters, God has called us, and I, I do believe, hopefully I'm, I'm correct. Uh, matter of fact, Pastor Isaiah, are we in the second commandment or third commandment, brother? Third. I'm sorry. I thought so. As I was reading it, I thought, I think I read this last week. So let's go to the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And as I was listening this morning, I, I recall now Pastor Isaiah uh, making clear that when Adam uh, partook of the fruit and when he sinned against God, not believing what God had said, he believed the lie of the serpent. And the serpent, by uh, his very nature, uh, was opposing God. And in his opposition to God, he also calls God, as Pastor Isaiah said this morning, calls God a liar. And Adam also he takes God's name in vain by believing the lie, believing the lie that God is a liar, that what God has said concerning the fruit and its uh, devastating effects would not actually uh, happen or uh, affect Adam in the way that God had promised that they would. And so Adam follows the the sin and the rebellion of Satan by following him into taking God's name in vain. And brothers and sisters, we have all, because Adam has taken God's name in vain, we have all taken God's name in vain. We have all uh, rebelled against conforming to the will of God, but rather we have conformed to our own will, both in Adam and in our own uh, person. We have all sinned against God. There is no one who is righteous, no, not one. And so, brothers and sisters, this evening, let's once again confess our sins to God. And then just a moment, let's go to him in thankfulness that he has uh, not Christ, our Christ, has not taken God's name in vain, but that Christ has exalted God by obeying him perfectly. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now and we praise you and we honor you and we give to you all of the glory for you alone have stood in the place of those who have taken your name in vain we have dragged your name through the mud lord and we praise you and we exalt you that you have sent your christ as we will talk about in a moment not to uh not to commit the same sin that adam Committed, but we thank you that he has done the opposite, that he has not taken your name in vain, but that he has exalted your name. And Lord, we confess that we have, we have along with Adam, we have sinned against you, we have taken your name, and we have uh, misunderstood who you are, we have uh, misbelieved who you are, Lord. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for these many ways that we have rebelled against you. And even some of us during this time of being quarantined and wondering uh, when things will get back to so-called normal, Lord, we pray that you would help us not to, in the midst of that, drag your name through.
through the mud or see and view you as being anything other than good, even in the midst of dark times. We thank you, Lord, that you will help us, and we thank you for forgiving us in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Let's now go to, in light of the sin that has been committed in Adam, that is taking God's name in vain, and that sin that we have um, we have joined him in, and that we have sinned with him. Let's go to John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, uh, Christ is being made out to be one who uh, exalts himself. And in the midst of exalting himself, the people, especially the Pharisees and Sadducees and those who were uh, religiously against him, they they ridiculed him of being someone who was taking God's name in vain or blaspheming against God because he himself was claiming to be one with God. And the response of our Christ was in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have now come to know him, or you, but you you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do know him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Uh, brothers and sisters, Christ has come to glorify, come to glorify God. And he glorifies God by perfectly obeying God in the way that God has commanded. He spoke truthfully of God and truthfully of who he was, that is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal one. So Christ thankfully exalts God and shows us what it is to uh, not take God's name in vain by being a blasphemer, but by exalting Christ or by exalting God and showing that uh, the best way to uplift and to acknowledge the uh, perfection and holiness of God is to completely and perfectly obey him as Adam failed to do in the garden. And so uh, let's turn to to our God once again and thank him for the obedience of Christ. Let's thank our Christ for his obedience and for being the one who is uh, standing in our place uh, aside from the, not aside from, but unlike the uh, the one who rebelled against God, Adam, Christ is the perfect obedient one. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the work of Christ. Christ, we thank you for your work. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your empowerment. We ask that you would help us to be mindful mindful of the different ways that we take your name in vain, by disbelieving what you have said, by doubting what you have said, by oftentimes living contrary to who uh, we are in you. We thank you that you have stood in our place and that you have died a death that we deserved. And we thank you, Lord, that we now live uh, so that we might, like you did, honor and glorify our God. We praise you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> There's a, a number of prayers that as um, we were all kind of gathering into the the group this, this morning or this afternoon, I'm sorry, uh, people were asking for different prayer requests. Uh, what I'd like you to do, if you could, so that maybe we can eliminate some of the um, the chatter. I don't know. Maybe the best way to do it would be for, for you to email us 
uh, different things that you have prayer requests of. So the emails that you've been getting from Reformation Bible Church, if you could maybe email some things that would be um, that are important for you to ask us to pray about, uh, that would be very helpful so that when we gather for our prayer gathering on the last Sunday of the month, which will be in the evening, we will have all of those ready and available uh, for us to pray for and pray with. Um, and then there will be some other things that will kind of open up so we can all hear and maybe we can ask each other individually to pray. That might be helpful and encouraging, too. Uh, but if you could email us some things that are um, particularly important for you right now for prayer, that would be great. I want to just make a, a mention of something from this morning, and then uh, I do want to pray a kind of longer prayer for some of the things that were asked this evening, and then we'll turn it over to Pastor Isaiah. I hope that you all did receive the the five questions that were sent last night. Some of you guys probably, uh, because I sent them so late, probably got them this morning. Uh, one of the questions I, I think, and if I could just go back to to it real quick, one of the questions was, how important are the ordinary means of grace for Christian living? That's the fifth question. My wife and I were able to have some good discussion after the lesson this morning. And one of the things that, that we talked about was, what is your driving force to attending Lord's Day services? And to put it another way, why do you go? What's the the motivating factor that, that drives you to gather with the saints and worship. And one of the things that we need to be very careful of is that our driving force behind gathering with the saints is not simply that if I don't go, sister or brother so-and-so is going to be mad at me. That should not be our driving force behind uh, why we do or do not attend the Lord's Day worship services. Or uh, if I don't go, uh, then I'm, I might be in danger of church discipline. Or if I don't go, uh, I might not be able to get to, to hang out with so-and-so, or even for some of you young kids. Uh, if I don't get to go, then, then I won't get to play with my, my, my favorite friend. Uh, while all of those those things uh, may be important in some kind of way, they should not be the driving force behind why you do or do not attend Lord's Day worship services. The driving force behind our attendance to Lord's Day worship services, well, I, I would even start with because God commands it. Because God commands us in his word. And if we are believers, then we do what God commands. We do what God commands because we're believers. Uh, secondly, and, and maybe these are not all in, in, in chronological, uh, proper order, but because God has promised that when we gather in the way that he has prescribed or commanded us to gather, that he'll meet with us, that God will be there. And that's why it's important for me to be there. Also, the means of grace. I, I'm encouraged to hear some of the testimony as I was kind of lingering behind and asking different questions. Uh, it's encouraging to hear that some of us have needed more understanding about this, this subject of the means of grace. I'm encouraged to hear that. I'm encouraged to know that, that your elders um, at least have had their, their, their fingers on the right pulse by the help and strength of God to know that our church needs a, a, a better 
better clarification on this, this subject of the means of grace. And so praise God for that. And now you know what they are, what the four are. And I'm sure you, you had that little quiz in one of your questions. And that the, the blessing that is provided for us in the means of grace. So when you come and, and receive and hear God's word, you should expect a blessing therein. When you come and you pray with the saints, there should, you should expect a blessing because God has promised these things. When you take the Lord's Supper, expect a blessing. When you are baptized or seeing baptism, expect a blessing. That's why we go. And also because the saints are gathering. And when the saints gather, I want to be there. Why? Because my being present with them shows that I'm one of them. I belong to them. That's why when the saints are gathering on the Lord's Day morning or evening, I'm there rather than somewhere else. And and let me just say anywhere else, unless I have to be. Because God God commands it. God is there. There is a special blessing in the things that he's provided for us there. And because those who I'm united to are also there. And so I do want to encourage you. That's something that I, I wish I would have said this morning. But I'm saying it now, and I hope that it's encouraging to all of us. Uh, in, in the book, Green Pastures, uh, John Ryan Davidson makes this example uh, of the time when he was playing soccer and how he always looked forward to, to going to the water hose because of the, the summer practices and the, the hard work that he would put in during his time of, of sport. And he said the, the water hose was not necessarily the source of water. Obviously, it would be the spigot, but the spigot was using the water hose as a means to replenish the the hard work that was being done by uh, him in sport. I thought it was a, a really interesting example. God is our source, and God uses different means or different mechanisms, that water hose, if you will, to replenish us. And they are the means of grace that God, uh, that we spoke about this morning. And so I do hope that that was of some use to you this morning. And I do hope that you all received the email. With that said, I'd like to open with a, or to kind of conclude with a pastoral prayer. And I'll turn it over to Pastor Isaiah. I'm going to mention some of the things that were mentioned here for us uh, before we get started. And then we'll turn it on over to Pastor Isaiah. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now once again in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and again by the power of your Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would hear some of the prayer requests of your saints. We pray for Sierra. We pray that you would save her, Lord. We pray that you would rescue her from that lifestyle, the lifestyle that is contrary to how you have created man and woman. We pray that you would bring her, Lord, back to some of the things that she heard when she was just a little girl, that you would remind her of the truth and that you would use her, use those things that she has heard, Lord, and maybe even use people like Sister Doreen to remind her once again of the saving truth that is found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for the church's safety, for all of our safety, that you would be with us all as we are, some of us going to work and some of us just out and about doing grocery shopping and things that we have to do. We pray that, that all of these, this time of quarantining would end, that we would be able to gather with the saints. And should this continue much longer, that you would give 
churches and elders and pastors, you would give them wisdom as to whether or not they would abide by the, some of the suggestions or or begin to gather. You, we pray that you would be with us in, in those decisions. We pray for Alex and for Bernard. We pray that you would bring them to saving faith and that you would use their, their dear mother, Ophelia, to draw them near, Lord, through the preaching and, and proclamation of the gospel. We pray for Ralph's brother, Martin, who is getting ready to have a heart transplant. We pray that you would help him. Uh, as far as we know, he is a believer. Would you help him, Lord, if he's not to come to faith and that you would, uh, if not, see uh, see to it that this uh, surgical procedure would be used as, as a, a way to open up his eyes to his need for you. And if he is a believer, then praise God that you will be with him and that his confidence will be found in you through all of this. We pray for all of us, Lord, that you would give all of us patience. We are all seeking and trying to find different ways to be entertained. Uh, help us, Lord, to find good and godly ways to uh, spend and pass the time. Uh, we pray that you would help us all to pursue you during this time, that we would not let our guard down, that we would not allow ourselves to become lazy when it comes to our pursuit of spiritual things. We pray for Louis, who's getting ready to go back to, to work, that you would be with him and you would protect him. We pray for our sister Hilda as well. She's getting ready to go back to work, that you would give her opportunities to share the gospel and to be a witness on her job. Help us all to shepherd our children well. Help us, Lord, to be good, godly examples to all of them and to use discernment. Use discernment about their age and to use discernment, Lord, on what tools that we might use to help them to grow. And, Lord, we pray that ultimately you would bring them to saving faith. We thank you, God, that you will be with us tonight. We pray that in this way that we are meeting through Cisco WebEx, thank you for the blessing of it. We pray that you would use it tonight, Lord, for your glory and for your honor, and that your saints would be strengthened by it. We ask all of these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Pastor Isaiah. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Um, we will start uh, our lesson for uh, as long as we can in um, in our catechism. <clears throat> um, let me let me pray. Um, I know we just got done praying, but let me pray for strength and uh, for help by the Spirit, and then we will begin. <sighs> Father, we pray that you uh, will help us as we begin our study and our catechism. That you will teach us what it means to uh, know the truth, to live the truth, uh, to love the truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, uh, normally what we do Sunday evenings, as you all know, is uh, two times out of the the month, uh, we'll do a lesson, or maybe even three times, <clears throat> we'll do a lesson on Christology. And um, I'm greatly missing that uh, those studies and, and going through those things with you all. Um and then we have prayer, and then we have a fellowship meal, of course. But uh, just as we, we, me and Antonio thought that it would be wise to go through a study on the means of grace, um, we also thought it'd be wise to go through our catechism. Um, as you know, that Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, uh, we take one question and we uh, go through that question throughout the entire month in order us in order for us to uh, ingrain um, and memorize the. The, the catechism question, but also the catechism answer. So 
uh, we want to do a little in-depth study on our catechism and uh, hoping that it doesn't last too long, this study, um, because we do want to meet again uh, and we want to uh, continue our studies in Christology. Um, I was hoping that we will be done in Christology in the summer, but uh, it probably looks like we're going to be done uh, at the end of the year or the beginning of the year. Um, but if you if you don't have our catechism, if if you can, um, on the Internet, you can find it. It's the Baptist Catechism. It's really easy to find. I think Desiring God, John Piper's website has one um, on the PDF. Um, I know Founders has one. So if you can um, you know, look, look up the Baptist Catechism, because that's what we're going to be in uh, for some time. Now, you might ask, what is a catechism? Uh, a catechism essentially is instruction uh, about Christian doctrine. Um, it's taking doctrines such as um, theology proper, doctrine of God, Christology, doctrine of Christ, anthropology, doctrine of man, um, soteriology, and, and all these other doctrines, and um, it's putting it in a question and answer format. Uh, the Reformed are... Uh, use uh, catechisms uh, frequently. Um, those uh, who are Presbyterians uh, use the Westminster sh uh, uh, Shorter Catechism uh, or the Westminster Larger Catechism or even the Heidelberg Catechism. And those catechisms are really, really good. If you, if you want to look through those, um, I strongly advise you to look to those, especially the Westminster Larger Catechism. Um, it's a little bit more in-depth. Of course, you're going to have to um, uh, reconsider uh, the things that they say about baptism and um, the church and things like that. But um, those are really great catechisms. We, as Baptists, uh, we have what's called the Baptist Catechism. And uh, it's very similar to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, but it's taken in a different order. They, they sort of rearrange things and uh, replace some of the things that, they, that the Westminster um, divine said about um baptism and what they said about um, the church. <clears throat> what we have in um, we have in question one of the Baptist Catechism that says this. Uh, the question starts off, who is the first and chiefest being? Who is the first and chiefest being? So if you're writing notes, you can write that down. Uh, who is the first and chiefest being? And the answer, God is the first and chiefest being. God is the first and chiefest being. And I love the way uh, the Baptist Catechism begins the Catechism because they rearranged uh, what the Westminster Shorter Catechism began with. Uh, you know, you might have known this question well. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So, the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with, what is our duty to God? And the Baptist Catechism begins with, who is God? Um, how we are to think about God. And it's important for us to note, and I'm not saying that it's bad for the Westminster to begin that way, uh, but I think it's a more fitting way and a more better and appropriate way to begin with, uh, who is God? And how we are to think and approach God. Of course, uh, later in the questions, um, 
it gets to what is our chief end, and we are going to say that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, but we need to begin, uh, all theology begins with the study of God and who God is and getting a right understanding of our triune, simple God. So if you look at the answer that was given, uh, who is the first and chiefest being, God is the first and chiefest being. So let's begin um, this study. And it says that God is the first. Now, when it says that God is the first, um, it doesn't mean that God is the first uh, as if he is the first in a long line of created things. This is something that uh, Mormons might say, or actually they do say, that it was Jesus Christ uh, wasn't eternal, but he was created. There's even some Mormons that say that the Father was created. Um, it elevates himself to uh, divinity uh, because of living a, a righteous life. So we don't mean that God is the first in the sense of there's this great chain of being, um, and God is the first that was created in this long line of creational beings. But when our catechism says God is the first, it's speaking of God's infinity or his eternality, that God is eternal. And this is a truth, a great truth, that we as the church uh, confess about God, that God is eternal. And while we confess that God is eternal, and we must confess that God is eternal, um, it's impossible to fully wrap our minds around what it means for God to be eternal. Uh, it's, I would say, impossible for us to wrap our minds around what it means for God to be eternal, because we don't even have a conception of what eternity is, let alone a, 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 a right conception or fully um, uh, comprehensive uh, a view of who God is. So when we say that God is eternal, uh, we are doing what is called negative theology. We're, we're saying something uh, that God is not. But also, we're saying something about what God is, who he is. Now, <clears throat> before we would define God's eternity, uh, Let's just quickly answer what God's eternity doesn't mean. And when we say that God is eternal, we don't mean that God has lived a very, very long life. You know, as, as God, think of it maybe that, that God is some sort of uh, grandpa in the sky uh, who's lived longer than all of us. Um, we aren't to think that, but rather when we say that God's eternal, uh, we mean three things. Okay, so when we say God is eternal, we mean three things. Number one, when we say that God is eternal, when we speak of God's eternity, uh, we mean that God is without beginning, that God is without beginning. Number two, when we say that God is eternal, we mean that God is without succession. God is without succession. And number three, when we say that God is eternal, we mean that God is without end. So when we say that God is eternal, he's without beginning, without succession, the middle, and end. He's without end. <clears throat> Let's consider these three aspects. Um, and we'll begin with the one that we, we know of, or, the, or actually the first two that we know of, and then we'll tackle the third, which is without succession. Um, what do we mean when we say that God is without beginning? What do we mean when we say that God is without beginning? Now, if you ever debated or talked to an atheist um, or to a critic or skeptic, um, this is a very scandalous claim that the Christians make. And this is the first thing that they might harp on if you talk to them. 
Because they might say, since everything was created by God, then who created God? And it's, it's very difficult for us to imagine something that never had a beginning. You see, we can, to a certain extent, uh, picture something that doesn't have any end, right? So we can, we can draw a line, and it can just keep going and going and going. And if we live an infinite number of years, then we can just keep it going. But when we think about things that will never come to an end, um, it's, it's, it's easier for us to think that than for something never having a beginning. Our souls will never have an end. Angels will never have an end. If you ever go to the beach and if you uh, stand upon um, the sands and you look onto the water, it does seem like the ocean just never ends. Maybe if, if you drove for a long period of time uh, and you've been on the same highway, uh, it seems like the road will never come to an end. So we can imagine to a certain extent what it means for something to have no end. But it's difficult for us to imagine something that never had a beginning. Because it's so unlike anything in this world that we experience. You see, we had a beginning. Uh, your children had a beginning. In fact, you were a, a uh, you played a big role in your child, in your child having a beginning. Uh, the earth had a beginning. Gravity had a beginning. The, the buildings that we see had a beginning. Everything we know in this world had a beginning. It had a starting point. But God never had a beginning. Whatever we say about us and about created things having a good beginning, we can't attribute that to God. Because God doesn't have a starting point. God is not like uh, the roads or the buildings. You know, he wasn't established uh, in times eternal. But he's always been. There never was a time when God didn't exist. And that's a very, very scandalous thing to say to critics and skeptics. But saints, this is what we confess from the church. In fact, this is the first thing that the Bible teaches us about God, is it not? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the first thing that the Bible teaches us about God is his eternality. It is that God is eternal. Now, when it says that God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, um, we ought to think that this means that time was sort of flowing before creation. That time was, was there with God, and then God, together with time, created the heavens and the earth. I used to think that way, and many people think that way. But we ought to think that time existed with God, but rather, time is a part of the created order. That when God created the heavens and the earth, time was included in that creation. You see, God didn't create with time or in time, but he created outside of time, and he created time with the created order. Time itself had a starting point, which is which is um, very hard for us to comprehend, right? I mean, think of that. Out of all things that we think should just have always been is time. But we can draw a line and go back to a time when time was established. Paul brings this out in 2 Timothy 1.9. He says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. 
not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before ages began. Before time existed, St. Paul is saying grace was given to us. As Voss said, uh, Grotus Voss, the best proof that God loves you lies in the fact that he never began. And that's a beautiful quote, is it not? That the best proof in which we know that God loves us lies in the fact that he never began to love us. God doesn't begin to love us, saints. He doesn't, there never was a time when he says, okay, now I'm going to set my love upon you. Just as there never was a time when God wasn't creator. And that's one of the biggest arguments you'll see uh, against the eternality of God, the infinity of God. That you can't say that God is eternal because on creation eve, God didn't create. So how is he creator without ever creating? But friends, as hard as it is for us to say, everything we say about God, we must say that it is eternal. God never becomes something. He never becomes loving toward us. He never uh, uh, becomes creator. Because if he becomes anything, then he's not God. He's a creature. Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2 says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before these creational things, before mountains, before the heavens, God was there. There never was a time when God wasn't there. Secondly, when we say that God is eternal, we mean that God is without end. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Paul in Romans 16 refers to God as the eternal God. In Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And here, and here what the psalmist says here, concerning the, the earth and the heavens. They will perish, but you will remain. The heavens and the earth will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. There are things in this world, uh, in fact, all things, that eventually will come to an end. We have an expiration date, and even in light of uh, the coronavirus that's spreading, everyone's thinking about their expiration date now. But friends, there is one who will never have an expiration date. There will never be a time when we will go to God's funeral. But God will live forever. Now, lastly, when we say that God is eternal, we mean that God is without succession. Succession. And if you were to read any of the um, older works, uh, systematic works in, you know, during the Reformation or the post-Reformation era, this is their main argument to the eternity of God, the eternality of God. Uh, they, they, they already presuppose that God is without um, beginning and God is without end. 
But this is where they hang all of their stock into. God is without succession. We, uh, as creatures, are bound by time. Uh, Everything we do is controlled by time. Think of the schedules that we make for ourselves. Uh, Think of the alarm clocks that we set in order for us to, to wake up. Think of how you looked 10 years ago or maybe 20 or 30 years ago. And if you were to look at those pictures from 20 years ago, what would you say? I think we all would say, where has time gone? Now, why is it that you don't look uh, in the exact same way that you did maybe 20 or 30 years ago or maybe even five years ago? What can we attribute this change to? Time. Time is the reason why our hairs get gray. Time is the reason why our our skin gets wrinkly. Time is the reason why we die. And because we are creatures of time, that implies that we are creatures of change. Again, because we are creatures of time, that implies that we are creatures of change. Because time is the measurement of change. Stephen Charnock uh, speaks of this wonderfully in his works. He says, the creatures are in a perpetual flux. Something is acquired or something is lost every day. A man is the same in regard to exist, in regard of existence when he is a man as he was when he was a child. But there is a new succession of quantities and qualities in him. Every day he acquires something till he comes to his maturity. Every day he loses something till he comes to his period. A man is not the same at night that he was in the morning. Something has expired and something is added. Every day there is change in his age, a change in his substance, a change in his accidents. Stephen Charnock is... Uh, with more words essentially saying what I just said, that we are creatures of change. Everything about us changes. We change our hair color. Women change their their, uh, nail color. Uh, We change our clothes. The way we were as a child is not the same way that we were or that we are as adults. Now, why is that? Why isn't that we are the same, the exact same that we were as a child? Because of time. Why is it in the morning that you are far different than you are at night or throughout the day? Because of time. But this can't be said of God. God is not controlled or bound by time. And because so, He is not subject to change because anything that is bound to time is subject to change. Tarnock goes on. He says, but God has his whole being in one and the same point or moments of eternity. He receives nothing as an addition to what he was before. He loses nothing of what he was before. He is always the same excellency and perfection and the same infiniteness as ever. His years do not fail. His years do not come and go as others do, as us, ours do. There is not this day, tomorrow, or yesterday with him. 
as nothing is past or future with him in regard of knowledge, but all things are present. So nothing is past or future in regard. You see, friends, one of the differences between us and God is that we have a past. We can look at pictures and look at our past, right? We have a present. And we have a future. Time is progressing in and through our lives. The morning is always going to give way to night. But this can't be said of God. God doesn't have a past behind him. He doesn't have a present that he's currently living in. And he doesn't have a future that awaits him. Now, I know this is very difficult for our minds to comprehend. But we have to say that God doesn't have a life that's passing him, just as you and I have a life that's passing us. God doesn't know what it is to experience years, days, or hours. He doesn't know what it means to clock time, to create schedules. He's not a creature of time. As Augustine has said beautifully in his confessions, your years do not come and go. Your today does not give away to tomorrow, nor follow yesterday. Your today is eternity. I think that is the best way in which we can speak about God in relationship to time. That God's today is eternity. That God's tomorrow is eternity. That God's yesterday, that God's future, God's past is Eternity. Now, we ought to think that God has his own life or his own time, and his time is called eternity, and we have our own time. We ought to think that God has his own life in eternity, but rather, God is eternity. God doesn't merely live in eternity, God is eternity. As the older boys would say, God doesn't have life. God is life. He is the very life in which he lives. He's the giver of life, rather than being the receiver or participant in life. Two scriptural references for this point. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Job 36, 26, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. Now, why can't we search the years of God? Why can't we uh, fathom the depths of God? Why can't we drop our anchor and, and find the, the depths of God with respect to his years? It's not because they're too long. It's not because we don't have enough line. It's not because we can't count that high, but because there's no years to search. Because God doesn't have years. God doesn't have days. And because God does not have years, because he doesn't go through these uh, moments of change in his life, and because he is not bound by time, we can trust that he will be the same today as he was yesterday, as he will be for all eternity. This is what God tells Moses, right? 
in uh, Exodus. When Moses asks who you are, what should I tell the people of Israel, your name? He says, I am. Now let's consider what it means for God to be chief. What it means for God to be chief. We've considered what it means for God to be first, and it's speaking of the eternity of God. uh, And what we mean by that is God is without beginning, without end, and without succession. Next, our catechism says that God is the chiefest. So what does it mean to say that God is chief? And simply put, this refers to the supremacy of God, the supremacy of God. So when we think of the chiefest, uh, think of the supremacy of God. In one of his letters to Erasmus, Luther said, your thoughts of God are too human. It's one of my favorite quotes from Luther. Your thoughts of God are too human. And that quote speaks a lot of how the modern church speaks and thinks about God. A.W. Pink has spoken of this well. He says, quote, the God who is talked about in the average pulpit, spoken of in the ordinary Sunday school, mentioned in much of the religious literature of the day, and preached in most of the so-called Bible conferences, is a figment of human imagination. The heathen outside, and and hear this quote, the heathen outside, the hell of Christendom, form gods of wood and stone, while millions of heathen inside Christendom, the Christians, manufacture a god out of their own cardinal minds. We have, in many ways, domesticated the transcendence of God. We have stripped God from all that he is. And since we must guard ourselves from bringing God down and thinking that he is like us, Because if there's anything that the Bible teaches us about God, it is that he's supreme overall. He's the God who's not just a little better than us. He's not just a uh, bigger and better you. Nor is God some sort of super angel. But God is high and above his creation. Exodus 15.11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you? Psalm 89, 6-8. For who is in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord. And lastly, Isaiah 46.5, God says about himself, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? I think Isaiah 46.5 is something that we need to recover uh, as a church uh, and uh, as a whole. Because one of the greatest dangers I see in the church today is in desiring a God who knows us, In desiring a God who is near to us, in desiring a God who understands us, we have made God like us. Friends, that is one of the biggest errors, dangers, and heretical things we can ever do. To strip God away in order that we may feel some sort of comfort and pleasure. 
saints, the confession of the church has always been that God is high and above his creation. That there is no one like him. That there is no one that outranks him. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't hear our cries and God doesn't know us. Saints, he has loved you since the foundation of the world. He has intimately known you since the laying of the world, since the laying of time. If God heard the cries of his people in Egypt, then surely he hears your cry. So we aren't to think that God is so distant from the world as if he doesn't know what's going on. But rather, we cannot bring God down to our level in desiring and uh, wanting us to know that God hears us in fashion and, and liken him to a creature. And that's something that we cannot do. And this is what our catechism is getting at when it says that God is the chiefest being. He is the chiefest because he is supreme overall. Now, in closing, uh, one of the ways in which we can apply this catechism question into our lives is not only do we know God better, God is the first and he is the chiefest of beings. God is eternal. He is without beginning, without end, without succession. God is supreme. He is high and above his creation. Our catechism is quite clear of who God is. But friends, the question I want to leave you with is, since our catechism speaks of God as being the first and chiefest, ask yourself, in your own life, is God the first and chiefest? In your life, since he is the first and chiefest in creation, since he is high and above his creation, is he first in your life? Is he the chiefest in your life? Does he have first place in your life? Is he supreme over all other things that you love in this world? Above your wives, above your children, above your job? Ask yourself, friends, especially during this time now, we have so much time on our hands. Are we giving to God each day our hearts? Are we, as Calvin, uh, offering our, or putting our hearts in our palms and offering up to God every single day? Who has first place in your life? And who is the chiefest in your life? Ponder these questions, and I pray that if God is not the first and chiefest in your life, that you will reconsider the things that are, that are replacing him. You will consider the things that are taking him off his throne. And you will eliminate them. You will do away with those earthly things. So friends, let's pray. And let's thank God for who he is. And let's pray that we will give to God what he so rightly deserves, and that is all of our being, all of our faculties, uh, everything that we are. <clears throat> our great God and Father, we thank you for being the great God whom we serve. When we say great God, we don't just use words because it's appropriate to say, but you are great. 
You are the first and you are the chiefest of beings. We thank you that you do not change. Because you are outside of time, you don't exist in time, you are not subject to change. We can, everything around us is changing, but Lord, you do not change. We thank you for being the God who has always been, whose life does not go through moments of succession, but whose life is. We thank you for being the chiefest beings, that you are supreme over all. We pray that we will give to you what you so rightly deserve, and that is us. Father, forgive us for not allowing you to be first and chiefest in our own life. Forgive us for not considering the greatness of who you are and the vanity of this world. Allow us to reconsider the things that we give all of our time and all of our attention to. Let us put you first. Father, you be the chiefest in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, before we uh, read of our benediction, is there any uh, questions or, or comments um, that you want to want me to elaborate on or, or anything? Um, say them now and we'll, um, I'll try to answer them or Pastor Antonio or whoever will try to answer them. So is there any questions or comments based upon our study? Well, praise God. Hopefully I was either uh, um, very difficult to understand or I was very clear in my understanding. So uh, praise God. If you have any questions, uh, you can uh, email or talk to me after or, um, or, or get in contact with me. Um, anyone? Did you? Anyone? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Pastor Antonio, you want to say something? No. Okay. Let me read um, this benediction for us. Um, and uh, we will, uh, if Pastor Antonio wants to say some closing remarks, um, we'll do that. Second Corinthians uh, 13, verse 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit uh, be with you all. And saints, uh, please note that when we say these benedictions, um, me and Pastor, we, we really mean that. Uh, may the grace of, and peace of God be with you all, especially during this time. Uh, Pastor Antonio. That concludes our evening time of gathering on this conference call. Thank you, Pastor Isaiah, for those helpful and insightful words, brother. Thank you. As he said, if any of you have any questions, you can contact us via email. Obviously, you have our, our all of you guys have our phone numbers. Please feel free to contact any of us at any time. I want to remind you guys again, if you have any, uh, if you are able to give, I uh, want to encourage you guys to contact the elders or Sister Mary, and we'd be happy to take your offerings. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. Go on in the grace of the Lord. Have a wonderful rest of your Lord's Day. Uh, men, we'll see you this Thursday. And for the rest of you, let's stay in contact.